May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I was thinking this week about the finer things in life. And here's what I'm thinking about. Sipping iced tea on a hot summer day. You know, a day like this can really remember that, right? Or maybe um, listening to baseball on the radio. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for baseball. Um, I've been thinking about how, how much fun it is to get together at a birthday feast, especially if it's your birthday. You know, the good food, it's always your favorite things and those sorts of... Strolling through the park. Once again, in my vision, it was a warm, sunny day, you know, but even strolling through the park on a cold day, you know, maybe walking the dog. Things that, that everyone or anyone can enjoy, things that are effortless and yet still rich and deep. Um, and I don't know, what are, I don't know what your favorite things are. Perhaps, um, perhaps watching the Browns and you're longing for another season and you pitiful, poor soul. I mean, I, I feel your pain. I know what that's like, right? Or, or perhaps, I know, listening to Father Joe preach for hours and hours, that must just be it, you know, that's right up there with the, going to a great film or a concert, you know, um, laying back on an air mattress in a, in a swimming pool, you know, catching rays on a lazy sunny afternoon. You know, the little pleasures of life that, that cost almost nothing, with, you can enjoy with great ease and, and uh, you know, just, just soak in and take and, and and, you know, sort of savor. I was, I remember about, I don't know, I don't know how long ago, it was years ago now, I was watching David Letterman. It must have been years ago because I could still stay up late enough to watch David Letterman. And I was, I was staying up when I was watching Letterman and he had this guest on there. It was this, um, musician. I don't even remember who it was, but he had, um, he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember that he died just a few weeks after the, the, you know, the playing of that, that interview. And, and Letterman, you know, in a real kind of, uh, poignant moment says to this guy, he says, what do you know now that the rest of us don't? And almost without hesitation, this, this, uh, this uh, musician says, Oh, only how good every single bite of food tastes. And I got that, you know. I mean, he, it wasn't just about food. It was about every single moment of life and how rich and good and even small pleasures, how good they were and how much they were to be enjoyed. And, and it's true, isn't it? It's the, the small things of life. But we've all been in times where life isn't like all peachy keen, where we don't know, you know, or, or don't experience in that moment those little delights. In fact... It's difficult to experience almost any delights in some points of our life. You've had that job, haven't you? That you did not want to be at. That you could not stand but could not afford to quit. You know, you've had that job, right? You, um, you've been on that sports team where you're not popular. For, why are you not popular? You should be popular, you know? everybody. And yet on this team, it wasn't the case. For some reason, you were the object of everyone's scorn and you could not for the life of you figure out why. I don't know why either. They were just, it was at your time, right? Or you've been in that semester in school where you said to yourself, I don't know why I'm studying anthropology. I don't even like people, you know. What am I doing here? What is, what is going on with this? You, you've been through that time. You know that there, is, there are times where, where life just is hard work. And hopefully it doesn't last very long. Hopefully it's, it's a short span, you know, a day or a week or a semester, you know, perish with all a year. You know, maybe you've had tough years. But every adult knows this, that life 
is harder than they thought it was going to be at times. Not all the time, but sometimes it's harder. It's harder for sure than you thought it was going to be when you were in high school. And every high schooler thinks, you know, it's much harder now than it was when my parents were here. And and every kindergartner thinks life is about Play-Doh and grilled cheese sandwiches and puppy dogs and they don't like taking naps. And all the rest of us just wish we could be kindergartners all over again, right? If only taking a nap was the worst thing that we had to do in our whole day. But we can find a good job. We can find meaningful employment. We can find ways to spend quality time with people we love. We can find a hobby or two that brings delight and and joy and sense of levity to our life. We can experience the presence of Almighty God that gives us the peace that passes all understanding. All these things can be had. And and for a moment, even if they're they're distant, they kind of come back to us. And we know, again, what goodness is. And I think that we can always have this kind of look forward, this, this future that, that, you know, is probable, that is better, and, and quality is always going to go up. You know, it's always a, a good optimistic view of the future. We can have that. And I think when Jesus calls Matthew from the tax collector's booth, and Peter and Andrew and James and John from their fishing nets, and they begin to follow him, I think they think to themselves, This is going to be awesome. Don't you? I mean, don't you think they're like following Jesus and he starts doing these miracles, you know? He turned water into wine, right? I mean, this is exciting stuff. This is going to be good. This has got great... We are really stoked. He heals people. I mean, that's got to be awesome, you know, to see somebody who's been blind from birth and now they can see. Cast out demons. There's... This is a fantastic job. I have landed the job of all jobs. And when we run out of food, he just makes more. It's a really a great thing. There's not a, there's no downside to this. And I bet it kind of goes like that for quite a while, right up until the day where Jesus says this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. Don't you think that at some point when he's telling them this, that they're like, what? Did you say be killed? Because be killed wasn't in my vision of the future. You know, my vision of the future was much rosier than that. It was it was much more optimistic. Be killed? No, these people are ready to make you king. Don't you know what kings get? Kings get, I mean, they get it. I've never been king, but I imagine if, if... you know, if I were king, it would be a pretty good gig. You know, you would you would be treated well. People would bring you good food. They would fan you if you were hot. You know, it would be it would be a good place. This is what they want to make you, Jesus. And then Peter, Peter's Jesus's friend. He's a he's a close friend, and he does what friends do. Have you ever had your friend say something to you like, "You never going to believe who asked me out"? You know, Jim Hollander. And you're like, oh, I, first of all, I don't know a Jim Hollander, but if you do, not that one. Um, and, and but they say, you know, and you like, oh no, you are not going out with that guy. I mean, he is no good, you, you know. And what do you do? You're a friend. A friend takes their friend aside, right? You you put your arm around her and you say, oh dear, come here. No, y- yes, I, I know he's a handsome fellow and he drives a nice car, but he is jerk. I mean, he is no good for you, right? You've done this. If you have not done this, you are not a good friend, right? This is what friends do. And if you haven't done this, you know, she married Jim Hollander, and now she's coming back to you and said, you knew and you didn't tell me, right? You, you pull him aside, and this is what Peter does. He, 
He takes Jesus aside. That's literally what Mark says. He, Paralambano, he takes him aside. I've got something to tell you. And he rebukes him. Um, have you ever been rebuked? <laughs> Probably not in a little while, but you know, it happens. You know, you're chided. No, 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 no. What are you doing? Um, I used to work for this grocery store and uh, when I was, you know, 17 and, and I did all kinds of things wrong. I would, you know, at night set up the guys and I, um, paper towels into like bowling pins and, and bowl with turkeys, you know, um, frozen turkeys and, 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 you know, Boisel, what were you doing? Um, you know, of course my boss could never say Boisel. He always stick an R in there. Borsel, what are you doing? You know, I was playing bowling. You know, have you ever been chided? You're, you're not supposed to do, here's Peter with Jesus. What do you think you're saying? No, you can't do this. And what does Jesus say to Peter in response? Get behind me, Satan. Satan, you adversary. You're adversarial to the things of God. You're not doing, you're not on my side. I know you think you're on my side, but you're not. You're against me. You're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking like human beings think all the time. I am not looking for this. Get behind me, Satan. This is not friendship. This is an adversarial relationship right now. And then he does something. He whistles really loud. And you're like, you know, I just heard that you read the text a minute ago. I don't remember him whistling really loud. I think Mark forgot to put it in there. But he clearly did. Um, he whistled, he, if he didn't whistle really loud, maybe he said something like, the Lord be with you. And, and everybody stopped their chit-chat. And then he said, come over here. Because look, look at the text. And he, verse 34, and he called the crowd. He called to him the crowd with his disciples. In Kentucky, y'all, you know, and when you had an emphatic, all y'all, all y'all get over here right now, everybody. We, got, we have to have a talk. And here's what he says. Did you catch it? If anyone wants to follow me, would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Oh, I'm sorry. This is full disclosure time, right? Um, you, you, you disciples, you know, Matthew from the tax collector's booth and James and John, Peter and Andrew, all the other fellows, you, you know, I'm sorry, did you think that there was something about this little mission that was going to be all um, rainbows and puppy dogs, uh, sunshine? Uh, everybody else, not just the 12, the whole crowd. If anyone wants to come after me, Three things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, denial is not self-loathing, is it? Denial is simply means to denounce your own ownership. Deny yourself. You no longer own yourself. It's the person has no longer a claim over their own their own person. They've given up rights to themselves. I've I've never been in the military. I'd rather talk to Dale about this and, and others. Um, but they tell me that when you when you enter into the military, Brian, you know, part of the contract is you give up rights to yourself. You know, in fact, you give up complete rights to yourself. You cannot even protect yourself against bodily harm. In fact, that's what you're there for. Right. And, and if, if you're in a battle, if you're at a time of of conflict, you could have some superior say to you something like charge that hill. And you will say, 
but they have guns. That's what I would say. But they have guns up there, you know, and they're pointed at me. I know, but charge it anyway. I think I would retort, but they'll shoot, you know. (laughs) Yes, go. You have no right. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I will do what I... You no longer have control on your own life. Imagine a soldier in in Vietnam or Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, Let's go take that hill. Why in the world would we do that? Why would we, do, why would we willingly risk our lives? Because, it, 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 you know, it's hard to shoot two soldiers with one bullet. You know, maybe they get one of you, but they don't get both of you. And if we win this battle, and we win enough of the battles, we win a war, and if we win the war, we save the nation. You have to be willing to give up, or at least willing to sacrifice in order to save the cause. And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing. Allegiance to him means total allegiance, that you give up all of your rights. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Cross isn't a nice, lovely piece of jewelry like I have around my neck. A cross is an instrument of death, right? Be willing to die. This isn't just about comfort and ease. And here's the point. I think it's easy for us to think that Christianity is about a life of ease. You know, it's about... um, about God serving us. You can turn on the television if you had stayed home um, this morning and just flipped on the TV. There would have been a dozen people who would have told you this morning, some of them good, some of them not so much, who would have told you that this is, that Christianity is about you getting your best life now. That is so not what this is saying, is it? That is so antithetical to what this gospel is saying. This is not about your best life now. It's about your best life in the future. It's about finding out what life really is about. It's not about comfort and ease. And we all have heard the way that the church has blessed and sanctioned all sorts of nonsense, drawn up new liturgies to uh, to make it sound even better. And we've we've shooken our head. Oh, no, I can't believe that. But you know what? The church has not just been hijacked by hedonists. It has been hijacked by the polite genteel of society as well. That we think that Christianity is really about how isn't it nice that we could be nice to the nice? That's not the message of the gospel, not here. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is, is benevolent, kind, all those good things. But I would venture to say that God is not nice. <laughs> He's not in the way that we call nice. Not that. He sets high demands for us. Jesus doesn't call us to follow niceness. He calls us to follow the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is hard. If anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, as I said earlier, the simple things of life are are quite wonderful. And I think, though, sometimes that it's the simple things that are harder to give up than the big things. I can give up the big things. You know, those are all right. It's the simple things that are difficult. Um, I remember when I was a, a young boy, my grandfather was a, uh, he was a, a veteran of the Second World War and had been in France and Germany as an infantryman. And he used to take my brother and I for a walk around the neighborhood. Uh, they lived in, in South Florida and, uh, at this time and, and we would go and, uh, walk around the corner and there was a mango tree and, and my grandpa would pluck some mangoes from, uh, from our, his neighbor's tree and his neighbor would be in there playing his organ. And, uh, and, and we would just sit out on the back porch and listen to him play his organ. 
beautiful waltzy kind of tunes and whatnot. At the time, I thought we were real hokey, but now kind of like. Uh, but he would listen. He, he, the neighbor would be in there playing the organ, and, and we would have these mangoes, you know, and we'd be eating them right off the tree. And my grandfather would tell us these stories about, about being in the war. And they were, they were the good stories, you know. He told us one time that they were in France and, and they had found this home that would, had been used by the Germans for like a, a headquarters. And, and they went in and the Germans were all gone. And, and so they were just kind of wandering around this big old mansion. And they went into the basement and they found uh, all this champagne in the cellar. And there was a bathtub down there. And so they started popping off the corks off all the champagne and pouring in the bathtub and jumping in, clothes and all, right into because they wanted to say they had bathed in champagne. And I, I kind of laughed. I always thought that was so funny because here was my grandpa, 127 years old. He probably was only about 60. But at the time, you know, he seemed really old. And, and, and I, I imagine him as a young man, you know, jumping into that, those tubs of champagne. And, and he, told, he showed us these, these guns that he brought back. You know, he shipped guns. I can't believe they would do that. They would ship guns back from, from overseas back home. And, and he says, you know, I had this pistol. I think it's a Luger. I think it's what they called him. German pistol. He said, I was going to bring it home with me in my bag. He said, but they told us, if you take anything, any guns home, that, you know, there are German guns, if you take any of these home, you have to stay in the army another six months. And he said, so I left it because I couldn't imagine six more months in the army. I just wanted to get home. You know, that place where you're like, oh, I'm bored. You know, let's go do something. You know, and that's not what he wanted. I want to be home. I want to sleep in my own bed and taste food from our own kitchen. And I just want to be home. I think about how the little things of life, you know, are so precious to us. And Christ does bid us even to be willing to leave them. This is what, you know, Lent gives us a little taste of that, right? Oh, just a, just a tiny little setting aside of small pleasures. Come, follow me. Give up anything, everything. Come, follow me. But it does come with a promise, doesn't it? For whoever would save his or her own life will lose it. But whoever willingly loses their life for my sake will find it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.